welcome to another episode of the ULP podcast. As you know, the ULP stands for You Like Parties. On this show tonight, we have Chris Darden. Hello. Ryan Johnson. Hey, baby. Jeff Rupert. Howdy. And Corey Evan Wright. Hello. On this show, we're going to be talking about some meta games, including sneaky cards and pretense. We're going to have a discussion about thrift gaming and getting games from thrift stores. And we'll be discussing the old, bad, but so bad it's a good game, Outdoor Survival from Avalon Hill. But before we get into any of that, let's talk about uh, our week in gaming. Chris, what did you do this week? Oh, not much at all. <laughs> I um, We hosted a game night at the Science Center, uh, the St. Louis Science Center for First Friday in conjunction with Geekway. Uh, there, I only managed to play one game. I had my kids with me, so we, we were having fun with them. But I played Code Names there. And nice. I think that's it. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Ryan, how about your week? Well, I didn't do much. I uh, went on a cruise to Mexico, sold a house, bought a house. And so I actually did get a couple games in. Uh, on the on, I drove 12 hours to get on our cruise, uh, and I picked up uh, in a Dallas Target. Is it Roll America, Corey? Is that the name of it? Yep. Yep, Roll America. It's a new game right game. Or Rolling America. Or Rolling America, that's right. It's a game right game where you're, you have to roll dice, and the dice are colored by region, and it's really just an exercise in mapping out these numbers, and then whatever number you have in a state, every contiguous state next to it can only either have a, the same number or a number higher or lower. Um, so it kind of it's, it's not really push your luck, but it's it's kind of a puzzle to fill that thing. The kids and wife really enjoyed that one, and then actually on the cruise, as we were all sunburnt and waiting for dinner one night, we played uh, No Thanks. And I didn't really think it was going to work very well, but my wife and my son played three games with this horrible grudge match going on. So uh, they had quite a bit of fun with that. But that was my week. Excellent. Sounds wonderful. Jeff, how was your week? Uh, It was pretty awesome. I went back to Missouri uh, to see my family and celebrate my 40th birthday. And while I was there, I I always take a bag of games to play with my niece and nephew at my my little sister's house. And uh, played three or four games of Gollum Arcana with my uh, nephew, and he proceeded to kick my butt at every single game. And um, then I introduced them to Mice and Mystics. And uh, my little sister, of all people, she's she's not a gamer at all. She freaking loves that game and i guess they're gonna pick it up when i got back uh i had a package in the mail and some friends of mine sent me tides of time in the mail and today i actually busted that out while i was playing or on my lunch break and played it with my girlfriend and really cool game i really dig it excellent Corey. how about you uh, i didn't get to play much this week but um i did get free reign at target to, to grab something from the permission from the wife and uh I grabbed um, Forbidden Island. Um, I've been having on it for a while, so that was uh, it's on sale. I uh, didn't get to play it yet, but I'm excited to. Uh, my week was pretty uneventful. Uh, I, I I picked up a few minor thrift store items last week, but did but got some uh, got some solid organization done in my uh, in my sale pile of stuff coming in anticipation of what I'll be selling at the flea market at Geekway to the West. But didn't get any games in this last week, so nothing much to report on that front. All right. First, first topic of this episode, we're going to talk about metagames, uh, larger games that sometimes play outside of just what you do on a table. And to lead us in the discussion here, Chris is going to tell us a little bit about Sneaky Cards. Sure. So Sneaky Cards is a game by Game Right. I believe it was a print and play before they actually published it. Um, they published it recently. It comes in this cool little box, and there's 55 cards in it. I think one of them is a uh, rules card, and, and it's the card that lets you register the entire deck. 
And what that does is you go to sneakycards.com, you enter the code, and you get to register your deck online. And then the whole point of the game is you have various cards, and they all involve giving them to someone. So you're playing this game constantly. You're looking for situations in which to do it. So we really kicked it off when we started playing this, uh, when we took a trip to Kansas City, me and my family. And I got my daughter involved, and we just started giving cards to strangers by meeting the various things. So I have some cards in front of me that I haven't given out yet that I'm working on. So like one of them is buy someone coffee. So when you buy them coffee, you hand them the card. And then on the card, it has, you know, track this card and they go to the website, they enter in that number and it'll track it and it'll geolocate it for you. So one of the cards I had was uh, leave this card in another state or country. And so we went across the border to Kansas and uh, I left it there at a, uh, a place that makes marbles, the Moon Marble Company. And it got tracked there and then passed on because I just saw that it was tracked in Wisconsin as well. So it's actually moving around and people are tracking it. So it's pretty cool. Sure that kind of thing with my daughter and showing how the stuff moves around is neat and also the the coolest thing was is that she got involved so she would go up to a stranger you know a safe stranger she would ask us if she could do it and then she would uh do whatever the card said and then like hand it to him basically and so one of them was a secret phrase you had to say and other things like that my favorite here uh, that i still have is lie down in a public place until someone checks on you and then when they do hand them this card so you just, you know, lay in the middle of anywhere. So there's awesome. some there's some nice. cool ones on here. Um, the, the funnest the one here. One? Uh, the cat one is, well, so instead of saying the word now, you have to say the word meow five times. And it's, you know, like while talking to someone, like, do you want to go meow? Should we go meow? You know, like that. And if they don't catch Super on, troopers. then you hand it to them. Yeah. The coolest one in here is give this card to someone who can help get it hand delivered to blank and you write the name of a living celebrity on it. And then it's got a bunch of places on there for your initials to go on. So you can hand it, you know, do anything, hand it to somebody and maybe it'll make its way to the eventual person. And you can leave a note in when you track it also in sneaky cards. So it's pretty cool. It's a fun, you know, macro game. I bought two decks, one for uh, mainly my myself and my family to hand out and deal with and then one i'm going to try and burn through as many as possible at geekway you know just hand them all out there it's a pretty fun game like i said it's game right it's really it, it fits into that category of metagame it is truly not a a you know sit down everybody sits around and plays the game but it's a it's a fun way to get you know that just kind of interaction in ways that you didn't expect. And also, you know, it, it's just fun. It leads you to do things that uh, you don't want to do and not necessarily want to do. And it also could, you know, I think bring people out of their shell. I'm sure this game gives some people um, anxiety because half of the, all of these cards have to deal with like just about dealing with someone, you know, usually a stranger. Uh, but a lot of them have things like, you know, give someone something, you know, like make an origami animal and hand them this card with it, you know, uh, bake something for a friend, pay someone's bus or subway fare or car toll, you know, just things like that. So um, I think it's a cool idea. I, I love the concept. I hope they come up with more and the tracking makes it uh, that much better. Yeah. So if you see Chris at Geekway laying face down uh, in the middle of the showroom, he's not drunk. He's trying to give you a card. <laughs> Well, I may be drunk, well, but yeah, no guarantee. <laughs> Just start, start asking about or cards, both, like what right, cards? Both. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have any cards. <laughs> yeah, cards. <laughs> Yeah, I managed to, uh, my daughter managed to stick Ryan with one when we saw him in Kansas City, and then I stuck him with another one when I hid one in his hoodie, so. Yep. 
That was kind of awesome because, uh, you know, when I first walked up to Chris, his kids see me, what, once a year for about three years now? And, yeah. you know, they're, they're still kind of shy. And when Hazel, you know, when Chris, you know, finally said, hey, let's, you know, let's give him a card, she was a lot more, you know, adventurous. And I was able to kind of respond in kind. And, uh, you know, it was a fun little experience. So, yep, it was pretty cool. That one was, um, you play the world's largest game of tag. So all she had to do was say tag, you're it, and hand him the card. So now, well, has that where's that has that one gone any further, Chris? And because I ended uh, it. Yeah, it's been la- tagged about five or six times on the Kansas City area yeah. so far. Yeah, I think that's what that's really what I kind of find fascinating about that because you know I'm also a geocacher, and Chris, I know you are too. And you know it's not completely the same concept, but it does have that a little bit of that same tracking mm-hmm. and you know seeing you know there's something about something that you've interacted with and watching it move on and know that other people are experiencing it the same way you did. So I, I find that fascinating. Yeah, and uh, it's just, it really gets you to try and socially engineer some of these situations, you know, uh, put you in places where you're going to have to try and give the cards away. And right. I, I, like I said, I think it's a great activity for a family and it's getting my kids who aren't really like stranger shy to, you know, as some other kids are, but it definitely like, she'll go and do something and she'll be really proud of it. And so it's, it's just neat, you know, to watch. Now, Chris, you said it's game, right? Is this available at retail or is this available online only? Uh, it's, I'm pretty sure it's available at retail. You know, the usual places that carry game right games are like educational toy stores and, you know, things like that. I got mine off of Amazon, um, but I'm sure I could find it in a, in a local store that, that sold game right games. Yeah, it wasn't at the, I actually, that's what I was actually looking in the Dallas and Houston targets for with sneaky cards. I didn't see them there. I've looked at a couple targets and I don't see it either. Yeah, but I'm sure that'll change. It's pretty, it's, I mean, it's pretty new. Yeah, and it's a tiny little box. Um, it seems to fit uh, one of the mass retailer MOs, you know what I mean? So I bet you it'll show up there. But until then, it's definitely available on Amazon and other online places. Gotcha. Now, Chris, with your little bit experience with the deck, what card do you think would be easiest to to, uh, to pass off on to Jeff? To oh, Jeff? <laughs> uh, like one I haven't done yet? Yeah. Man, it's probably something like uh, maybe the Meow one while he's drunk. <laughs> You know, gotcha. or uh, or you know, uh, a, a duel. There's defeat someone in a duel yes. is one of these things. So challenge them to a contest and then defeat them and give it to them. Why so did you, why, why did Chris just you... hand me a pistol? <laughs> yeah. I, I was gonna go with uh, that. Chris tells Jeff, uh, "I challenge you to a height contest." Oh, I win. Aww. <laughs> Taking shots at Jeff. Um, there's some tough ones though. There's one that's don't use screens for 24 hours. Like, no screens for 24 hours, and then at the end of it, the first person you see, like, after you crawl out of your cave, you give them a card and tell them what you did. Yeah, I couldn't do that. Yeah, and there's another one that's uh, use only your non-dominant hand for a day. So some of these are going to be tougher than others, but I plan on getting rid of all these this year. Excellent, excellent. Uh, well, Ryan, you uh, you were going to talk to us a little bit about a second game that fits into the, uh, in, in the meta category, Pretense? Yeah, so this was a game. It's it's not quite as it's not so much of a broad social experience as Sneaky Cards is. But uh, I initially saw it on the uh, Gamma Show feed that uh, Board Game Geek had. It's AEG, I believe. Yep. Um, and basically, what it is, it's a meta game, a social meta game for a social game night. Whether it's you know you and three friends or you and ten friends, whatever. And each person is given a card and. That card is it's role specific, right? So you might be one of, uh, one of the cards is called uh, Glutton, 
and it says when another player hands you food or drink, you may take their roll card. So the object of the game is throughout your game night, whether you're playing three or four games, to be the guy that has all the roll cards at the end of the game. And it just sounds interesting to me because I, I don't, has any have any of you ever played Orcs at the Gate? I don't know who actually printed it. It was Jolly Roger. It's the um, Knights of the Dinner Table comic strip that they did. Anyway, this game was really just this really basic kind of castle defense game, but all of the cards were kind of based on, you know, the hijinks that the comic strip kind of incorporated. And it's a comic strip about a game group that's really pretty mean to each other. But that game was all about... Like, if you can get somebody to hand you a, leave the table to hand you anything, you could, you could play this card on it, and then you could kill 20 orcs or whatever. So it just kind of sounds interesting to see that this pretense game, you know, you're either waiting for someone to do something you know they're going to do, or you're actually trying to socially engineer, like, hey, Jeff, can you hand me that, that rule book over there? Knowing that Jeff only has a wingspan of about four or five feet. <laughs> And it's at least eight feet away, and he'll have to get up out of his chair, and then you take his, take his roll card and stuff like that. So I just thought it's just kind of an interesting concept, and it, it's something that I know when we get together as a game group, we kind of have our own little quirks that we do kind of like that, and this one's just kind of engineering that. So I thought it was interesting. That does sound pretty interesting. I like the idea of it, and I like the the way that it, it incorporates game elements into something that you wouldn't necessarily consider game elements. Right. Uh, uh, well, in, into a game night. Yeah, for instance, I mean, you kind of have done that in the past with your cheaty face card. So anybody that's played Magic, what was the name of that expansion, Scott? Uh, that one was Unhinged. Unhinged. So they're all joke cards, right? And the and cheaty face, you could play a, like, what is it, a 4-4 four, four or a 2-2 two, two elemental, a blue uh, elemental. Cheaty face is a 2-2 uh, is a, is a two, two flying ifrit i believe right and you, you'd play them on the on the table the way you got them out was no one sees you cheat and just place them out in your tableau well scott has played that on any of us that forget the rules and end up cheating no matter what next thing you know we'll look down and there's this cheat face card and you're like damn it <laughs> so it's a it's you know it's engineering that kind of a thing and be it'd be really good for you know a group where you might have some new people coming in or you know you, you've got some people that are kind of shy and don't get out don't break out of their shell too much so i'd like to see more of this kind of stuff yeah it sounds pretty interesting from a new perspective Corey, what do you think about what ryan described here with pretense it sounds pretty awesome to me i love meta games like this anyway so it sounds really cool i was reading about it while he, while he was while he was talking and it, it looks really cool i like the artwork too and it just sounds like fun Gotcha. Like, Jeff, like you have any other, thoughts? Yeah, one of the other cards here real quick is is the critic. Uh, and we, this would be easy to play on any of us. If another player refuses to play a game that at least two other players want to play, take their roll card. <laughs> nice. So, I would totally lose my roll card then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to play Stocks and Bots. Well, cool. Think, that sounds... Oh, go ahead, Jeff. I was going to say, I think uh, Sneaky Card sounds fun. Pretense, I guess I'd have to check it out. I think Pretense would depend on how it interweaves with the gameplay. Right. And then, you know, there's the aspect where there's really kind of two games you can play with it, right? Where, you know, the first time first time or two that you play the game, you, you really don't have any idea what these roles are, and they can kind of surprise you, and you get that, you know, discovery aspect of it. But then, as if you've already played it five, six, seven times, you know what's in that deck, and you know, it just kind of gives you an excuse to really meta game back, even though someone might not have that card. Like, you know, reach for a rule book thing. Everybody's getting their own rule books at that point, so that's kind of <laughs> interesting, right? And uh, you know, and you know, I know the un- the unhinged magic set kind of caused that 
also you know you're super on guard for being able to you know have your card taken from you or get you know given a bad card and i don't know most of us in college a lot of the drinking games or a lot of the you know social games you play there there was a lot of those i i win you know i win this hand so i get to make a new rule so mm-hmm. now everybody can't use their dominant hand or you know stuff like that so i mean this is a natural thing that everybody's you know different groups of people have been doing for a long time and it's just kind of neat to see it engineered for a game so that it, there's just less of a, a hurdle for entry for some people and you know they get to have fun with it so i got you well, cool, cool. Well, that's a it's a very interesting breakdown on on a couple of meta games. Who knows? This could be the uh, the next hot commodity out there, and we'll, we might see a lot more of these pop up from a number of different designers. Uh, transitioning right here into uh, into the next sec- segment, we're going to talk a little bit about thrift games. This is a topic that that I've got a lot of experience with. I've been doing uh, thrift shopping for for board games for uh, probably about a, about ten years or so now. For me, at least, going treasure hunting at thrift stores gives me a sort of an opportunity to sometimes pick up great games at really cheap prices, and sometimes to pick up a few small things that, that I can either uh, give to friends who are looking for games or some th- some things that I can resell at flea markets at larger conventions, or it gives me a little something to, to trade around. Or right, as we get into this real quick here, uh, just quick run around the room here and, and talk about what thrift store experiences you've had. So, Chris, uh, what experiences have you had with buying games from thrift stores? Pretty good. There's a large board gaming population here things like that so some of the stores get pretty picked over fairly quickly but i've had some good luck i have found the old version of loop and louie complete for cheap some other ones my latest one that i found was body boggle pretty happy about that which is basically combines boggle and twister together so you have to reach around your partner that sounds dirty and spell out words that are being read out by your partner basically and you have to keep working together to get them spelled seems very strange but it looked like fun and it was cheap but yeah there's a there's a number of good stores here in the st louis area and i've had pretty good luck overall i haven't found a huge score ever but overall pretty good gotcha ryan how about you how what's your experience with thrift store gaming like and have you had any really huge scores uh my experience is hatred and envy (laughs) <laughs> um, I, I do not have the time to go to thrift stores, and when I do, it's usually right after another jackass has come in and bought all of the cool stuff. No, really, I mean, I've gone and I've picked up, you know, I'm, I'm usually looking for bits and pieces because I know I don't have the tenacity to really hit the different thrift stores enough to, to really get a good shot at their turnover. So I've bought a couple of, you know, Ideal Company games, you know, Scrabble bits here and there. You know, you, I'll, you'll, you'll pick up a you know Scrabble game just to get the tiles out of it and the and the trays and stuff like that. But, you know, generally it's just I, I'm me hearing about people finding, you know, a copy of Dune for 250 or the entire Stratamax football set for $10 or that kind of stuff. I got you. I got you. Jeff, how about you? What what, uh, thrift experience have you had? And have you had any really nice scores? Um, I usually go maybe like once a month around Nashville and check out a couple of the thrift stores. And uh, we have like a big used bookstore here that usually is a pretty decent selection of random things. Lately, on my trip to Missouri last week, I picked up Rainier uh, Kinesia uh, Lord of the Rings, like the Hasbro version or whatever it was. Got that. It was missing like one little token and like corner of the box was ripped. I got that and uh, a couple of other things. They're pretty cool. I found one of the, uh, uh, it was like Risk Express, not Risk Express, uh, like Sorry, Sorry Express. See, there was that, that hatred up. and envy again just now, just from him even saying that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, if you found a Risk Express, that would be it'd be pretty impressive because that I, would be I, awesome. I don't have that one. I don't think collection. that one did not get uh, U.S. distribution. I don't think so. That would have, would have been a pretty substantial score. 
I yeah, was buying like the stuff I was picking up. I would uh, I attempted I think at BGG via you trying to sell them, and uh, none of my stuff sold. So I kind of gave up on that aspect of things, and now I'm just finding stuff to add to my collection or give away to friends. Yeah, I, that is one thing I'd, I'd say when it comes to like selling stuff at flea markets. It really takes an eye to, to know what to buy and at what prices to, to, to resell to people because the margins on games, unless you're finding like a really big score, margins on games are usually pretty thin. Like I buy stuff for three to expect to sell it for seven and I might sell 50% of it. So I'm I'm coming out at like a, a, a few bucks ahead of breaking even while still sort of lugging around a bunch of inventory. Uh, Corey, how about you? What's your experience been like with thrift stores? Uh, I haven't, I've never really shopped for games there. I mean, I used to go to thrift stores back in Florida, not too often. Of course, I wasn't really into games then, so that may change. I've been planning to kind of actually talk to some of you guys and find out where the good places to go are. And I'm not telling you where, where, I'm, where to go. You, st- you stay away from my stores. You stay away <laughs> well, from my stores. We're in different I got cities, my routes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so no, I want I want to check and see if I can get some cool, you know, cool old stuff. I mean, it's easy enough for to go on eBay, but I, I love the thrill of finding something in a thrift store, so. I will say, I wish I could, you know, I've been looking at a lot of houses, you know, I'm in the market for buying a house, and I kind of wanted to thrift out of some of those houses, <laughs> some of them had some i mean really there was i, I was surprised at how many because you know you're looking at you're looking at a house potential house to buy and you're checking closet space and this and that and there's probably about 10 different houses where you know i open up a closet and i see all these old cool games and you know i was kind of surprised by that so but that would be unethical yeah, although I mean, uh, from the, on the thrift store side, you sometimes see the result of that, though, because the the houses that that are being sold, if people who have had a closet full of games, I mean, sometimes they'll move with them, but sometimes they just say, "No, I'm not going to move any of this," and all those get boxed up and they go to the thrift store all at once. And if you're fortunate to be there the day that they show up, you, know, you you get a you get a little treasure trove. Yes, yeah, see, I, uh, I'm, I, I'm lucky enough. To, like when my father-in-law got rid of all his stuff, I got stuff like Cheers, the game. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can tell you as, as a guy who's done a lot of thrifting is that you still end up sifting through a lot of crap. The big scores you find are, at least for me in my in my routes, are fairly far between. Just because you you hear about it when I find the the neat stuff, you don't hear about it all the times I go to the stores and I drive away with nothing. Speaking of the, the big stuff, uh, since everybody is, we've talked a little bit about like what the big things are we found. I, I wanted to, to like pat myself on the back here on a few things that I found fairly recently. <laughs> Speaking of people cleaning out their closets, I had a store where it, it seemed that somebody had had done that. And it was a person of a of a certain age that had probably bought games long ago when they had children, and then now we're cleaning out the house for whatever reason. Uh, so I found a bunch of uh, '60s, late '60s, early '70s vintage uh, Milton Bradley games. I ended up getting a battling top. I ended up getting a vintage version of Tippet. I got the 1967 cover of Battleship that has the famed father and son playing Battleship while the mother and daughter are washing dishes in the background cover. And then a a sort of a a clue-like game called Manhunt that I'd never really heard of but was also in pretty good condition. So that was was a fairly happy day for me. I won't bore you with with other, like, fantastic scores. (laughs) Um, Please don't. But... On that topic of fantastic scores, starting with starting back with you, Ryan, since you seem to have a an awful lot of bitterness about this, if you were to go find something, what would you what would be your dream score? What would you walk in the door and something that you would see on a shelf that you could realistically hope to find in this area at a thrift store? 
Well, I mean, so mine's a pretty, it's, I think a lot of people would probably answer it this way. You know, if I saw like a Fireball Island or a, like a Forbidden Bridge, that, you know, those kind of toy-like games that you just don't get anymore because, you know, either they're made out of so much plastic that it would cost you a hundred bucks today. So actually one of the ones I've always kind of wanted to get my hands on is actually a Milton Bradley game that I think wasn't too poorly distributed when it came out, but um, hotels I've heard is an actually an interesting game and it's got great bits. So, you know, it's that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Corey, what about you? What do you think you'd, you'd like to find that you could realistically find around here? I don't think I have anything specific yet, to be honest. I mean, I'd be just looking for stuff that I wasn't familiar with that just looked fun, but I don't have anything like that I would necessarily go for. But, you know, if I could get something in good quality that I just had no idea what it was, that I think that'd be awesome just to learn about it. Yeah, something like Marblehead. Oh, yeah, Marblehead would be pretty cool. Jeff, what about you? Um, for some reason, every time I go into the thrift store, I always hope that I'm going to find Queen's Gambit. That one is realistic, though. I mean, that's probably not going to happen. But right. uh, <laughs> but mass market Avalon Hill within the last 20 years, yeah, it could happen. That or that old, uh, was that wooden game, Fire? Oh, fire. See, there you go. There, there's, there's what brings up my bitterness, because my, my brother, who barely plays games, uh, he doesn't barely play games, he plays games a fair bit, but doesn't thrift for anything. I had lo- I had scoured the Tuesday mornings in our area, because they had come up in threads, like, oh, Tuesday morning apparently got a stock of Theta games, and if you if you look around, you might find them. I hit several Tuesday mornings, found nothing. My brother doesn't even go to Tuesday morning, walked in, found fire. <laughs> fire was on the shelf. So my brother has a copy of Fire, and I'm bitter about it. Outside of fire, Jeff, what else? <laughs> Anything else? <laughs> Not really. I got you. Uh, Chris, what about you? What would you uh, what would you like to get from a thrift store? I'd probably like to see a Vanilla Ice electronic rap game in the wild. Oh, uh, yes, so much. That would be a cool one. There's a vacuum form game with uh, monster trucks. I can't think of the name of it. The Crash uh, Canyon? Yeah, that's it. Okay. I think that's it. Yeah, where they you know race up and down and you know go around like that. I'd like to see that. Yeah, I think uh, any of those vacuum form games, I think I would jump on in a moment. Even though I own you know a couple of them, I would still grab a Fireball Island or a Tornado Rex or you know any of those things uh, because nobody's making those these days yeah. at all. You know, nobody's even thinking about making them. I think it's those. For me. I have some pretty fun memories with those actually. That that those are definitely at the top of my list. Like. When I was really young, I used to put this at my uh, aunt and uncle's house all the time, and finding one of those would be really neat. Yeah, yeah I still yeah. have a Tornado Rex from when I was a kid. I have that one, but I don't have any of the others. That's awesome. I found a copy of Zaxxon at my uh, mother's house. It was mine back in the day. I remember being I had... bored with it at eight, though. So, <laughs> Yeah, I had that, too. It had that isometric yeah. board. Yeah. yeah, it was like kind of faux 3D. Yeah. yeah. I also had the Pac-Man game. Mm-hmm. I, re- I remember the Pac-Man game. I've never had one, but it's one of those ones that it looks neater on the board than it probably is to play. Yeah, it wasn't very good. I Speaking of the vacuum form games, though, I have had a Fireball Island that I, I came across, but it was missing too many parts, and I ended up selling it for a little bit less. But my uh, my big dream game, or the one I keep holding out hope for that I'm going to walk into a thrift store and find someday, is Dark Tower. Don't have any nostalgia for it, never played it. I just know that it is... It's one of those like Grail games that it sold some copies, and it might have sold, you know, KB Toy or uh, uh, Children's Palace might have sold some copies of it around the Kansas City area. There's probably some floating around. I'm just waiting for the day that somebody has has dropped one off and that I that I swoop in and pick it up. Yeah, I've uh, played it. It's pretty terrible. 
But sure. I would I would also jump all over that game though. If I oh saw yeah, it. there's a yeah. flash game you, that is, gives you the exact experience now. Right. Yeah. I don't want the experience. I want a big tower that I can put some D cells in that spins around and makes noise at me. That and somebody will be too nostalgic for it that they'll pay me a lot of money for it as well. Lots lots of pegboards in that game. Yeah. All right. Well, we, after talking about uh, thrift store games, let's slide on to our old game discussion. Ryan, you're going to talk to us about Outdoor Survival, which uh, Corey's the only one of us who has not yet played Outdoor Survival with the with the big group. But uh, Outdoor Survival is an annual tradition of ours where we all play a game of Outdoor Survival at a, a small gathering, and usually everybody dies. But sometimes they don't, which is what makes it exciting. But Ryan, please tell us a little bit about some Outdoor Survival. All right. So Outdoor Survival is an Avalon Hill game. Uh, 1972 is its first publication date. It's not considered really a, like a series or anything like the 3m games but it's very much the same format where it was really meant to be on a on a bookshelf and a slide out game tray it's a game where there are i I believe there's five or six different scenarios that come in the game it's basically a large map of a multiple terrain area Um, there's plains forests mountains swamps rivers and and whatnot. Each of the scenarios, starting with Lost, moving through to Search, I think uh, Rescue, Pursue, and then there's another one, I think. They, they all get a little bit harder as you go, but each scenario has a different objective and different conditions for how well you can survive as a human out in the wilderness by yourself. For example, in Lost, you're basically a brain-dead city slicker dropped off in the middle of Montana or, or a place like that. And at any point, your direction and how far you can move can be randomized. So the goal of it is just to get off the edge of the board. And it's, I don't know, guys, what do you think? Probably 95% of the time you're going to die, maybe 90% or higher. It's at least 90 in my case. but then you get like for instance then you can move up into the second scenario which i I believe is search and in that scenario your rescue workers looking for a missing person and the game is a little bit easier you're you're not going to get lost because of a random direction result but instead tougher scenarios really pit you as a player and your decisions you're making against the terrain and being able to get food and water on board game geek the game has a 4.6 rating out of 10. Uh, it's pretty universally maligned. People tend to hate it and you, you see a lot of comments where there's a lot of all caps comments like this isn't even a game, you can't win and I, I really don't know why we played it. You know, I it sat on my shelf throughout my entire youth and it wasn't until I was in high school and I was just bored out of my mind. Finally pulled it down and and started playing it and found out it was actually kind of a, this fun little challenge and uh, we decided to play it at our at our lake weekend and our goal year after year after year after year now is get try to get off the board do not die or if you are going to die die funny and uh, <laughs> we, we've had we've had people die within three steps of their start location we've had people get all the way to the edge of the board and just bragging about how they got off this time, and then their next result sends them, you know, 180 degrees away from where they wanted to go. <laughs> and the the one nice thing about the game is it's very easy to find. I think, I mean, I've bought copies for as little as $3 on eBay. It can be a little bit hard to find at different times. It does have some notoriety in that Gary Gygax actually notes the board, the map that comes with the game, as a component for the original D&D. So I know there's some value in the people that like that kind of stuff but it's really easy to pick up the game uh, because in the game your your piece is just a cardboard chit that shows you at various stages of health from a which is you're standing upright and you're walking just fine
line uh, down through like you know E F and G, which you've picked up a cane and you're starting to stoop a little bit, all the way to I, th- I believe O is the last one where you're. I think just, O is nearly dead. Yeah. yeah. O, you're on your hands and knees, ready to die. You know, it's easy to just kind of lay those out, scan them, change their color a little bit, you know, apply them to some cardboard and make new chits. I think I actually have enough chits with enough different colors to play 13 different people. And we've played up to, I think, nine. And it's just a scramble to try to get off the board. And we've started even signing the board where we die. And eventually that will fill up, I'm sure. But, you know, the game is kind of fun, too, because there tends to be a couple little routes that everybody tries to take. So we've kind of named them affectionately. So... Uh, you know, it's one of my favorite games to play with this group of guys. I don't know, what's everybody else think of Outdoor Survival? I think it definitely adds to it that we've made it a legacy game, that there's stories around each of these deaths, you know, and you can just see them spread all over the place. Some people get, like, a step away from the original starting spot or two, and then others die right on the edge of the board. So, pretty fun. I know, Scott, you made an, a recent addition to the game. Yes, I've, as Brian explained, uh, on your turn after you've made your move, you have to have an encounter and you have to check a a combat results table for it. Uh, You have to decide whether you're going to go for an animal insect. Uh, environmental or personal uh, hazard and I put together a an event deck which basically takes care of rolls one through six on a bunch of cards and reproduces that results table but with some uh, a little bit of flair and flavor text to go along with them as well as some uh, a minor improvement to uh, uh, because of how because of how punishing the game is and how it makes you stop and just wait out so many turns that we have a few extra cards I can mix in so that you aren't stuck in, in place for so much of the game. Ryan, you discussed uh, that there seems like there's two ways that the game ends up. Somebody either dies or they do make an escape off the edge of the board. You did forget about that one one situation that Gray got into right. where he made it to a cabin uh, where you have your water and your food. Your life force for the entire game is based on how much water and food you have. And so as you lose water and food, you lose your life levels. Uh, he made it into the cabin, which fulfilled his water requirement, fulfilled his food requirement, but he took a nasty turn on the combat results table, which knocked down his life levels. So we said that he was effectively undead in that cabin of forever because he couldn't actually move anymore. Right. But every turn as it came back around again, his food and his life would always be satisfied, but that realistically on the table, from the odds, there was no way he was ever going to go back positive again and be able to move again. And even if he did, he'd get one step outside the cabin and die. Right. So we, we declared that he was he was in there undead for forever. Yes. That is the third result you can get. It, that would be very <laughs> hard to engineer that. Now, Jeff, you said you've had a, pretty much a zero success rate with outdoor soil. What do you think has been the cause of that, and uh, do you have any plans for this year? The cause of that is probably be being drunk. I would probably, well, I don't know. That and horrible dice rolls. No, I don't, I, I just bad rolls. I don't know. But I have a blast. Like I, I, think most, tried my, to do, I think you've tried to do the desert escape twice, though, if I remember. Right. I don't think I've ever had a plan. I have <laughs> never had a plan. I just go with it, whatever. Whatever at the moment looks fun. I, well, and I, So the interesting thing is I, th- I think all of our escapes are off the north or west side of the board. Have we had any escapes off the east side or the south side? I thought we had one off the east. Uh, maybe. There's a there's a big swamp on the east. Uh, the, there's a desert and then just a large track of forest in the south. So I know people have made, it's like, hey, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm really thirsty, but I'm going to go through the desert. Sounds like a great idea. Yeah. I do like well, how, how uh, whenever somebody makes it off of the map, they get to name like a feature on the map. Like they make it through that mountain range. They got to name that mountain range. I like right. that we're doing that kind of thing. Yeah. And we were doing that before Risk Legacy even came out. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, I, I do. I will say I can't wait to play with Scott's cards because it's something I wanted to do for the longest time. You know, not only to, to inject a little bit of humor, but the the results can be a little bit. I mean, with the the original combat rolls in the back, like Scott said, I mean they're completely dry. There's, I mean, it doesn't even really say what happened, right? You just roll on insect and animal, and it'll tell you that oh, you lost food that day. What I can't wait to play on Scott's cards are having a little bit more of a story to that. I've always wanted to have you know an amorous sasquatch card or something like that you know you lose a couple life levels but you're well fed (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly well the good news is the deck is ready to go it's good for what it is for now it's but it's also something that i can also build on and grow in the future if uh if we decide to to go down that path so i'm I'm really excited to play i'm I'm looking forward to that and when we uh when we get to break that out yeah and it's it's interesting too because i'm kind of surprised i mean i'm not surprised but i mean this is a game i think that avalon hill or you know, somebody else could kind of pick up and and do a little bit more of a modern treatment too. Like, you know, not only just with Scott stuff, but like really re-engineer some of those scenarios. Because I mean, there have been a couple people online that have done some interesting ones. I know there's a uh, one of the popular ones was a dune buggy race across the map, and I'm kind of surprised no one's really grabbed this because I'm I'm sure Avalon Hill's not really guarding it that well. Um, although it was somewhere I read it was the most or there it was their most popular game uh, throughout the 70s, only because it was sold in all national parks or most national parks. Hmm. Interesting. But, I would love to see a re a revamp that could be added to, or even like the like Dead of Winter. That's a, what's the Crossroads game? Is that the name of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah that kind of a deal where it's always going to change based on what anybody's doing at any one time. Yeah, that'd I be an interesting tweak. Yeah, I want to see different maps like Mars. You know, <laughs> yeah, we're all be. astronauts. We've got to I don't know yeah. get somewhere. I don't know, but uh, whatever, whatever they make, I just hope they keep this awesome seventies box art because that is fantastic. Hey, that tree, that's a nice tree, isn't it? That's a nice tree. <laughs> they should make different National Park-themed ones, you know? That would That'd be actually awesome. really cool. Yeah. yeah, Like a map of Yellowstone, a map of oh, Glacier, you know, that, yeah. things like that. Corey, yeah. where do you think you're going to die this year? Um, who, who knows? Let's say the northwest corner. No, nobody makes it to the corners. You're not going to make it that far. Well, <laughs> I, by, by corner, I mean quadrant. <laughs> I'm going to guess that Corey is going to uh, he's going to think the southern route is the way to go, and it's it never is. Although the, the best part about doing this sort of the legacy thing, Ryan, is that we also get to see a cluster of which is the way you shouldn't go because, right. because yeah. there'll just be bodies <laughs> that are littering that area. Well, there's all. I mean, if you wanted to make sure of your, you know, if you're trying to game your success. You you head for that northern mountain pass, but once you get there, it's fifty fifty if you can hit that trail or not. And because uh, in the game there's trails on the board, and if you can hit a trail, you don't have to worry about rolling a direction. And in the lost scenario, it's that's what will kill you because if you roll a one, you have to re-roll the, the die, and it's you know it's a it's a hexagonal game map. So one is north, two is northwest or northeast, and three is east. So it can turn you around, and the, the trails, you don't have to do that. So I think probably four or five times we've gotten off the top edge of the map, but probably ten times they've gone through that pass and then died to you know two steps away from the... We assume there's a highway all the way around the, the square board. So Like the village. Yep. Yeah, yeah. My favorite time playing is I made it three spaces away from the starting space and then just stayed there for the rest of the game and died. <laughs> I think we made up the story that I found like a pile of magic mushrooms 
and just sit down and try to eat those to survive. Yeah. I think I think I drew a picture in my the game journal that session of you with the mushrooms and a, I think a pile of toilet paper from the cabin. Yeah. It's actually on Board Game Geek I'm looking at right now. Nice. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to our final segment here. Uh, just a, a, a quick rundown between everybody. Tonight's final discussion point is what game do you attribute as your gateway and can you defend it? Chris, let's start with you. Sure, mine was, uh, so I played Magic for a while. You know, I played games as all, like all through my youth, but what really got me into Euro games was I sold out of Magic. I had won some tournaments. I still had store credit at a local store. Um, so I was selling all my Robo Rally stuff, which I acquired but never really played correctly i don't think i wouldn't i'm not sure i played it a couple of times but i saw that the number one game on board game geek was puerto rico so i had him order it with store credit and got it played it and that's really what kicked off me into the hobby from there we bought like the rest of the top 10 my friend trey and i and we just started playing you know as much as possible so puerto rico and yeah, I think I can defend it. It's still very highly ranked, despite issues with brown tokens that are absolutely not slaves, but colonists, and maybe a turn order problem with players that are less experienced than you going ahead of you. You know, there's issues there if people are at different skill levels in the game, but overall, I think it's a great game, and I still have really fond memories of it, and that's the one that got me into the hobby. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, a great I mean, that, game. That one, it's yeah, high on my list because it's recommended so often for, you know, being one of the best. Yeah, I think I I've only played Puerto Rico a handful of times, but yeah, I I, I still enjoy it uh, about a decade later. So that's a, that's usually pretty high marks. Uh, Jeff, what about you? What was your entry into into gaming? I'm having a hard time remembering. Like when I started gaming, I was playing card games like Middle Earth, The Wizards, and Legends of the Five Rings, and that kind of thing. And for some, I don't know, like I guess maybe like Ticket to Ride or something like that. Was probably the game that like got me into like like uh I guess Euro style games or whatever that or maybe like Pirates Cove something like that I can't remember exactly. Okay, do you want to uh, mount a defense on either of those or letting them uh, drift in the wind? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the wind it is. Good. Yeah, the wind. All right, Corey. Well, you're hopefully you should remember yours because yours is probably fairly recent. What was your entry into gaming and uh, can you defend it? The Carcassonne was my intro, I think, probably. Um, my wife and I like tried it because we were, we, we were big like puzzle nuts, and we were just looking for something a little bit more dynamic to do and kind of fit the bill. And I had worked in a hobby shop, so it had always, like, I had always seen it, and it flew out the door a lot. So that was my intro. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I could defend it just because I still enjoy it a lot, <laughs> and I don't, know, I don't know what the feeling is about that in the community. I don't know, you know what the rank is or if it's seen as like a new game or not, but I, I still enjoy it a lot, and we haven't played it that much anyway, so it hasn't been like ruined on me. So, Well, Corey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chime in with you here. My, uh, my entry was also Carcassonne. My brother busted it out for me. Uh, I played Magic as well, and I have a few other things prior to that, but, but really into hobby gaming uh, was Carcassonne. Uh, my brother brought it out. Uh, we played it. I looked up some strategy afterwards, and to uh to learn how to beat him at it i bought a bunch of games after that but i got tired of carcassonne i i still own it my wife likes it but i honestly can't remember the last time we played it it's been literally years i, I just got tired of it so there, there, um, there are some versions of carcassonne that i enjoy um what's the two the two-player one's pretty good actually for you know for a two-player game uh, uh, castle. the castle the castle yeah, I like Carcassonne the Castle. Um, I like Hunters and Gatherers better than basic 
Carcassonne yes. also. I think Hunters I and Gatherers does the uh, because the farm confuses new players. You know the farmers, and in Hunters and Gatherers, it's you just count up the number of animals that are in your mm-hmm. area, which is just much easier scoring. But it's self-contained. It doesn't have a billion expansions, so I think I like that one the best. I I still don't mind Carcassonne, and but like Scott, I can't remember the last time I actually played it. Ryan, how about you? Um, like like the rest of you, I played Magic and. I, you know, I brushed up against the hobby several times, and you know, I remember when I was in fifth grade, I just, I, I went to my uncle's house, and we actually played this just mind-blowing, amazing game called Dark Tower, and that actually kicked off more of a fantasy reading hobby. But you know, really, I mean, I played a lot of Warhammer and Warhammer 40k miniature games, and you know, I really, I, I enjoyed Warhammer Quest and stuff like that, but it never really fired it up until. For one of my role-playing game groups, we wanted to try something different just to kind of break the monotony. And I was—I actually went to Tabletop over in Kansas and picked up Bang because it could hold eight players, or I think at the time seven, and really enjoyed it and kind of didn't understand all of it. So, you know, went to this website I'd never seen before, you know, Board Game Geek, saw that there were thousands of other games, and now I'm moving 50 boxes of games. So, yeah, I, I, but I think Bang's actually, uh, you know, it's a simple game. It's, I kind of throw it in the same same realm as something like Munchkin for a group like ours. You know, it's not anything you're going to play because you just really want to test the game, but you know, if there's eight of us sitting around and, you know, we're waiting for dinner or we just want to pass the time, then, you know, it's a it's an interesting exercise to see if the sheriff can survive and the renegade can kill him. Cool, cool. All right, well, I think that wraps it up for this show. I want to thank everybody for listening. On our next episode, we'll be talking about time stories. We'll have a discussion about games that are available in mass market stores, and then Chris is going to pick an older game to talk about. It's a mystery. Let's do a quick rundown around the room for contacts. I'm Scott. I am at Ludography Scott on Twitter. Also, I, I run the website Ludography.net. Chris Darden, uh, CB Darden on Twitter is the best place to see what I'm talking about. Uh, I uh, I am at Ol underscore River underscore Johnson. No H. I am at Ludography Jeff on Twitter. I am at Be Sublime on Twitter. All right, everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, This has been brought to you by Ludography.net. Ludography.net, because there were squatters on the dot-com. Thanks so much, everybody. (laughs) 